0: What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of b Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. And today we're going to do a little NL Central preview. As opening day, less than 48 hours away as of this recording, and by the time you listen to the episode, heck, it might be 24 hours away. This Wednesday at Busch Stadium, we've got Workout day with the Blue Jays and the Cardinals both getting a chance to get out on the field for a workout. You'll hear from the players, I'm sure, with some media availability and, and quotes and information that will come from that. Our first look at this Cardinals team post-spring training and then Thursday, the real thing happens, opening day at Busch Stadium, Miles Michaelis v. Alec Manoa, Cardinals and Blue Jays. It's going to be a lot of fun. But before we can get into all of that, I feel like we should take stock of the Cardinals division and where St. Louis is expected to fit within that division after winning the division title last season. Obviously, with the new playoff format in Major League Baseball, the Cardinals were that third division winner in the National League last year, and so they had to play the best two out of three wildcard series. That did not go their way. What do we think is in store for the Cardinals this time around? Can they first of all win the division? And then in the hierarchy of the National League, could they maybe get one of those top two spots in order to, well, try to avoid that wild card scenario next year. We'll try to get into all of that. I don't really have my full MLB predictions logged as of tonight, but what I will do is I'll tell you where I think the Cardinals uh, finish. If I, if I do believe they can win the division, Where do they sit amongst the National League as a whole in terms of that one, two, or the dreaded three seed? I'll kind of give my thoughts on what I expect from the Cardinals this season in regards to that. Before we get into it, I want to remind you guys love, love, love those who have been subscribing on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Spotify in particular, I think the number went up by five overnight, five new people subscribing or following, as they call it on Spotify. Appreciate that so much, guys, if you would just continue to. If you haven't, go on over to Spotify, give us a follow. Give us a five-star review on Spotify, five-star review on Apple, or, you know, four stars, three stars if you don't really like the show that much. But uh, thank you guys for listening, for uh, doing that, and for subscribing so that you don't miss episodes. Really, it's for my benefit, but yours as well. If you want Cardinals content throughout the season, you want to make sure you're locked and loaded on B-Shape Daily. So let's jump into conversation about the NL Central. What I've done here is I've got FanDuel Sportsbook and their lines pulled up. Just to give us kind of a guide, I'm going to go over-under for each team in the National League Central, kind of what I think will happen, and then I'll give you the win totals. Um, I'm using this over-under system a little bit as a guide so that I can kind of say, all right, here's how Vegas or how the, the baseball world at large views each of these teams, and here's where I think maybe they're off base a little bit and where they're maybe correct. Um, I don't I don't have too many differences that are vast compared to what sort of the FanDuel lines are for each team, but I'll kind of explain when I do differ why that is the case. All right, so let's go ahead and, well, let's start at the bottom. We'll add a little bit of intrigue to this. First, I'll give you the, the rundown on the numbers. What they have at FanDuel, Cincinnati Reds, 65-and-a-half, over-under. Pittsburgh Pirates, 67-and-a-half, over-under. The Cubs, 76-and-a-half. A little bit of a jump there between the fourth, fifth-place teams and then what they expect to be the third-place Cubs. Second, the Milwaukee Brewers at 86-and-a-half, and then not too far beyond that is your St. Louis Cardinals, 88-and-a-half. Now, I've got the win total polls going hot and heavy on Twitter, by the way, at B Schaefer twelve saw earlier this week that Elon Musk is going to make it so that if you don't subscribe to Twitter blue and get the verification blue check mark then you can't vote in polls anymore after April 15th which is really sad for my account because I love doing polls and now most people won't be able to vote in the polls Elon Musk is a dork uh I've got the blue check mark I've had it for several years it'll be going away for me in April too because no I'm not giving him eight dollars a month uh screw that guy so anyway Kind of stinks about the polls, but for the last time, I can do my preseason win total polls for the Cardinals, and as of this recording, I've thrown out a number of them. Typically, I start at like 81 wins, and just to not assume anything, but given the Cardinals had a pretty good year last year, they added Wilson Contreras. I knew that people weren't going to be saying they're going to finish below 500, so I at least upped it to half, and I've gone up by one ever since. And so far, uh, it's been pretty overwhelming in favor of the over. I think I'm up to 88.5, which is actually the, like I just mentioned, the Vegas win total is 88.5. And, and, and so far, Cardinals Twitter is pounding the over on that. And so if you really feel that way and you feel strongly about it, head on over across the river to Illinois and maybe uh, maybe DraftKings Casino. You can place a, a wager over there on the over for the Cardinals if if you're so inclined to do that. A lot of people, the reason I say that is ninety percent so far have voted over on eighty-eight and a half wins for the Cardinals, so that's a little bit, you know, of a discrepancy. You'd expect some bias because it's mostly Cardinals fans voting that that follow me, I assume. Uh, but if the objective win total for Las Vegas says eighty-eight and a half, and Cardinals fans really like the over, maybe there's some value to that. Cardinals fans historically have been pretty good about. Uh, pegging the Cardinals' win total pretty accurately within one or two uh, when doing these preseason polls. Last year, y'all stopped at 90. I I do the voting until the majority is on under, until at least 51% is on under. And last year, that happened on the 90-and-a-half poll, I believe it was. So that means 90 on the dot is what Cardinals fans believed, and I think they ended up winning, like, 93 games. So you actually undersold the team last year, but we'll see what ends up happening this year. I think the the fans are pretty confident based on Twitter. Again, we hear complaining all the time. We talk about the negatives. It's really easy to, to fixate on those. But it, when the rubber meets the road, at least right now with the way Cardinals fans are voting, a few hundred votes in each poll, Cardinals fans seem to be pretty enthused about this team and at least their ability to, uh, to break that 88.5 mark set by FanDuel Sportsbook. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump in now to the rankings of these teams in the NL Central, starting with the fifth place projected team in the Cincinnati Reds. 65 and a half wins is the over under at FanDuel. And I don't know that I'm going to differ too much from that. I actually think the Reds could avoid the 100 losses though this year. I'm going to end up maybe a little higher on the NL Central than I should be. I know that both Uh, The Reds and Pirates, they did lose 100 games last year. And now you have the balanced schedule, right? You don't see as many games against divisional opponents. It used to be like 18 or 19, I think, per team. And now you're going to see each team like 12 or 13 times. So it's a little bit different from that perspective. And there are some really good teams in the American League now that you're going to have at least one series against that you may not have seen otherwise in the way it was scheduled in the past. I don't think that has a huge impact on the bottom dwellers in the NL Central, though, like the Reds. They can't play themselves, so really all it means is you play the Cardinals a few less times, the Brewers a few less times. That could actually help them. You've got the Pirates expected to be pretty brutal as well, uh, but I don't think the balance schedule hurts a team like the Pirates or the Reds as much as it maybe hurts a team like the Cardinals where St. Louis does not get to beat up on the Pirates and Reds and Cubs uh, historically Cubs. Maybe the Cubs are better this year. We'll talk about it. But they don't get to beat up on those types of teams quite as often with the frequency that they did in the past because the balance schedule is coming. And by the way, I'll probably rant about this a lot throughout the summer, but I just cannot stand what they did to the Cardinals and Cubs rivalry with this. I, it's like after the end of July, there are no Cardinals and Cubs games at all. Seven or eight of the Cardinals Cubs games are forced into like one month in July. And I think there's maybe one other series earlier in the schedule. It's ridiculous. I know you've got the London situation that's sort of impacting that. I think the Cubs only come to Bush once this year because the Cardinals are giving up a couple of home games for the London series. And then the other Cards-Cubs series at Bush is a four-gamer. And I don't believe it's over a weekend. I could be wrong about that, too. But it's just ridiculous that there's no Cardinals-Cubs baseball in September. Or even August, for that matter. So, that's my rant. I can't stand it. MLB would never do that to the Dodgers Giants rivalry they'd never do it to the Yankees Red Sox rivalry I promise you it would never ever ever happen and if it if it does someday I'll go Mia culpa I was wrong it's just not it's just not ever gonna happen but for whatever reason that's what they do to the Cardinals Cubs rivalry I don't get it uh rant over apologies we'll get we'll get this thing back on track let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds I'm gonna go over 65 and a half wins for the Reds but just like barely I, I'm gonna go like 66. You could talk me into 67. I'll go 66, though. Be a record of 66 and 96 for the Reds. And the reason I've got a little bit more optimism, not much more, right? I'm only going over the total by a half a game. You got to pick one or the other. You can't pick exactly 65 and a half. But the reason I lean slightly over, and I do mean slightly, is because I kind of like the Reds' young pitching. I liked it last year, and it, it didn't really materialize. Nick Lodolo had some injuries that he dealt with. Hunter Green didn't uh, have maybe the effectiveness that I thought he could. But another year in, I still have faith in him. He's got really good raw stuff. Ladolo, I think, can have a really good year. And we've seen Graham Ashcraft, maybe their number three starter, has looked really good and is hitting 100 miles per hour in spring. Uh, The other two spots, I'm not 100% who they're going to go with. They've got Luke Weaver on their active roster, former Cardinal, and filling out the rest of that rotation could be a bit of a chore. But their first three, those three guys do have a chance to be uh, somewhat solid for the Reds. And so I feel like that alone, when you're in the doldrums of a 100-loss season the way they were last year, uh, obviously it doesn't take much to to improve things. And I think with, with the front three in their rotation, they could have a little something there. The lineup is pretty bleak. You've still got Joey Votto. Tyler Stevenson's a, a solid young catcher. Uh, Will Myers is on that team now. Jonathan India, I like at second base. Um, they really don't have a lot else to write home about. Jake Fraley hit the ball pretty well last year. Nick Senzel, if he can ever stay healthy, is is a decent hitter. They don't have a ton, though. So the Reds are going to struggle, but I think they can get over that 65.5 on the strength of the first three pitchers. If those guys go down, they're going to lose 100 or more games, almost guaranteed. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and go 66 wins for the Reds. Let's move on to the Pittsburgh Pirates, whose total is not much higher at 67 and a half. And I'm going to kind of do the same thing. I'll give him 68 wins. I think for a similar reason. I like that Mitch Keller might finally be able to figure this thing out. I think he's their opening day starter. Um, there have been many a baseball season where I thought Mitch Keller could come in and, and pitch well, and he hasn't re- really been able to do it. He's getting closer, though. I think he'll have a decent season. Uh, They've got Rich Hill. There's a veteran arm for you. Roanze Contreras is a good young pitching prospect. I think he can take a step forward. Johan Oviedo, I'd like to see him get a chance in their rotation, but he kind of might be the sixth starter. I'm not sure how they'll use him, Um, but I I like Oviedo. JT Brubaker, they've got – I'm not going to say it's a great rotation. Vince Velasquez, I believe, is in that group. Not a great rotation, but, uh, you know, there's there's some pieces potentially to work with. David Bednar, really good closer. He'll probably be gone by July, though. Um, bullpen, not a whole lot going on there of, of names you know. Offensively, they picked up Carlos Santana. He was on the Royals last year. I don't know what he's got left in the tank. Uh, they've got G-Man Choi now, former Tampa Bay Ray. Uh, Kabarian Hayes. It has been a you know a hyped prospect, but can he ever get the offensive numbers up to really justify it? O'Neill Cruz is obviously kind of the staple in their lineup offensively, um, but he's had kind of up and down, right? Uh, powerful guy. He can hit the ball a long way. He can throw the ball real hard. Can he do the in-between stuff to put together a solid stat line? Uh, that's what the Pirates will be looking for from O'Neill Cruz at short. And they did bring back Andrew McCutcheon, which is kind of fun. Uh, he'll be in that outfield for them and maybe kind of a swan song similar to what Albert Pujols had with the Cardinals last year. Brian Reynolds is their best player. I hope he's traded uh, by the deadline because I want to see him somewhere where he can uh, have a chance to help a team win. Brian Reynolds, a stone-cold killer. I just think the Pirates are a little bit less bad than they were a year ago. That's why I'm uh, giving him a little bit of the sense of optimism. Again, both these teams, the Pirates and the Reds, lost 100 games last year. I don't think it happens to either of them. It's more likely to me to happen to the Reds because I think that's a house of cards built upon a couple of good pitchers. And if those pitchers get hurt, which often happens to pitchers, I don't think they have uh, nearly the lineup. I I would give the edge to the Pirates actually in terms of the lineup because they did add some pieces to try and stabilize that there a little bit. But it would be a stretch to see that group get to 70 wins in my opinion. All right, let's get into the Chicago Cubs because this is going to be the first Area in which I differ a little bit with DraftKings. I feel pretty confident. Or I'm sorry, we're looking at FanDuel. I assume DraftKings has relatively similar lines. There's no reason I'm using FanDuel. That's just what I happen to pull up. The Cubs total at FanDuel is 76 and a half wins. I feel pretty comfortable with the over in this case. I think the Cubs have finally added some pieces. Like they did a decent job in free agency to say, hey, this year we don't want to be an embarrassment. We're going to actually try to win a few games see where that gets us it may work it may not but I think they can at least be respectable this year looking at their pitching staff first it looks like and this is NBC Sports Chicago starting pitchers Drew Smiley, Justin Steele, Marcus Stroman, Jameson Tyone, Hayden Wisneski as their starting five and I don't see Kyle Hendricks in that list and I, you know, I follow the Cardinals and what's going on with them. I assume Kyle Hendricks must be injured or he is not able to make, crack their starting five anymore. Yeah, okay. It looks like Kyle Hendricks still nursing an injury, making his comeback from an injury that he suffered last summer. And we'll see what that ends up being. We know he has been a Cardinals killer over the course of his career. You add Kendricks to that group. I think Tyone obviously has been an injury-prone guy. He comes over, I think he was with the Yankees last. Marcus Stroman, we know what he's capable of. Justin Steele, lefty that has some good stuff. Drew Smiley, like there are pieces here for the Cubs in their rotation. And Hayden Wisniewski is a guy that that won that fifth starter spot. He's kind of their Jake Woodford as of right now with Kyle Hendricks on the mend. I think of the rotations we've named so far, this is the best one in terms of competing against the the Reds and the Pirates. It's just there is some volatility there. Like Marcus Stroman can be really good, or he can struggle. Uh, You don't know what to expect from Tyone or Drew Smiley. Justin Steele, I think that's kind of a dark horse guy that by the end of the season people go, oh, that's a really good pitcher. That's a guy to build around for the Cubs moving forward. I think he's got good stuff from the left side. Throws it good. Um, But decent. I mean, it's a decent rotation. It's nothing special. I think you add Hendricks to it, it looks a little better if he's vintage, but he's you know, struggled over the last couple of years too. Haven't talked a lot about the bullpen's from these teams just yet. Brad Boxberger looks like he's part of that Cubs bullpen, kind of checking out their roster. I think Michael Fulmer was a good ad. He can be good toward the late innings for the Cubs. Adbert Alzale is kind of that guy who he could he could start for you. He could be in their bullpen. They've got a few good arms. Uh it's okay. The pitching situation is okay for the Cubs. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it tremendous By any means, but I think it's, I think there's some better depth there where you're not kind of scratching the bottom of the barrel, scraping the bottom of the barrel. You're not scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to like the fourth and fifth starter. I think they've got some better answers for that than say the Reds will in their situation. The Cubs were 74 and 88 last year and they've added pieces right in the off season. I was high on the move to go out and get Cody Bellinger. I could be wrong about it. I could be totally, totally wrong about it. But I think there is, you know, it's a former MVP. It's a one-year deal I think they gave him. It's worth the shot, right? If he can give you something, Wrigley Field might be a good fit for him. We'll see. Saya Suzuki was solid as a rookie last year coming over from Japan. They'll have him back. Patrick Wisdom, Ian Happ, like they've got some good quality hitters. Nico Horner, I think they just signed him to an extension. And they they had Dansby Swanson in free agency. That was kind of their big splash and Eric Hosmer, as well, is a Chicago Cup. Looks like it anyway, based on the active roster. I don't even remember when they added him, but good for them. Good for Eric Hosmer. We'll see. I mean, they've got some pieces. Looks like Hosmer's had a decent enough spring with a two hundred sixty seven batting average. No power, though. I think the power's kind of sapped from his game compared to where it used to be. They've got some pieces. They've got some veteran players. I don't think it's going to be a great lineup, but I could see it being... I mean, they have run out some pretty putrid lineups in recent years in Chicago, especially, you know, save for the Wilson Contreras. You know, he he's come over to the Cardinals now. They've got Tucker Barnhardt, I think, as one of their catchers. It's just going to be, you know... And Suzuki, by the way, the outfielder, looks like he is uh, likely going to start on the injured list. It's going to be a little bit of a close call for him, according to NBC Sports Chicago. I don't know. I think the Cubs have I I respect that they went out and added a guy like Swanson. They took a shot on a a former MVP like Bellinger. They won 74 last year. I think their pitching is going to be a little better this year, and you're only getting a a a 2.5 win higher total than what it was last year that they actually achieved. I think that they can do that. I think, again, I feel like, I'm a broken record here, but I'm coming in on the over again on one of these lesser NL Central teams uh, in terms of their win total for 2023. I think the Cubs can get there. I respect that they went out and made moves. Tyone was a good pitcher last year with the Yankees. Don't underestimate that addition. I think he can be a really solid kind of number two, number three for them that if you add it to a healthy Hendricks, if Justin Steele can step forward, there ends up being something to work with there. I feel pretty good about that 76 and a half number. I'm going to go, I think the Cubs have at least a 500 season. I'm going to say 82 wins for the Chicago Cubs this year. And I really thought I was going to be willing to put them as the second place team in the division. But the more I look at it, the, the roster's not that great. I, I might be overselling things. They've got some young players on the way that could help them, but I'm already going over by a solid five and a half wins for the Cubs. I don't need to stretch it beyond that. I don't need to get too crazy. Um, The Brewers, you know, it might be one of those deals where I've been talking them down. But I do think I could foresee a scenario where by July they've got a losing record and they start to sell. And that would totally change it. I would be taking the under 86 and a half. I'll start there. When it comes to the Brewers, under 86 and a half I feel like is a good call. How far below is a question. I think they could win 83-84 on their talent. They could win 87 on their talent, theoretically. But I don't think this is a franchise moving in the right direction. I think it goes all the way back to the trade deadline, moving Josh Hader, and just kind of the nasty feeling that gave the clubhouse. You could just kind of tell then and there that maybe this team wasn't moving in the right direction. And uh, David Stearns, right, he's kind of stepped back within the organization, a bright young GM, baseball executive. He's he's not in the same role anymore, and I think it's like I want my fingerprints off of what is about to happen here because it's about to turn sour. The milk is about to go sour in Milwaukee. That's sort of the way I feel about the situation, and you look at their roster, there is still things, there are still players to be enthused by. From a pitching perspective, if their rotation stays healthy – It's probably the best rotation in the National League Central, uh, even more so than the Cardinals. But that's always a big if, right? And and I'll say what I said last year about comparing the two pitching staffs for these teams. I think the Cardinals have better depth in terms of if things do go wrong with their pitching, they've got a better handle on how they're going to fix it, how they're going to manage. Corbin Burns is better than anything the Cardinals have. Brandon Woodruff probably better than anything the Cardinals have. Uh, Freddie Peralta, if he's healthy, that is a real difference maker, but he hasn't really been healthy coming into this year trying to make a a full go of it. Eric Lauer was solid last year. I like Aaron Ashby. I don't know if he'll be in their rotation quite to begin with. Um, Wade Miley is around, so I don't know who their number five is going to be. But that top three or four can be really, really solid for the Brewers, if healthy. And that's a reason that I can't just completely – sell them down the river and say they're going to finish outside of second place in the division, which is what I kind of wanted to do coming in. I don't, I don't know if I can be gutsy enough to, to make that proclamation. We'll see what I get after the uh, looking through and talking through this roster, Devin Williams, good closer, probably the best reliever that any of the four teams mentioned so far have. Um, But the Brewers bullpen is not necessarily what it once was, right? They've had some guys uh, trickle out Josh Hader, of course, uh, chief among them. And so we'll see what that group ends up looking like. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the group that it once was. Pitching-wise, though, Brewers are in a good spot, which is why it's hard for me to count them out entirely. Offensively, kind of an interesting look. They get William Contreras, the brother of Wilson, in a trade, and I think that was a good move for them. They sort of snuck in there, didn't have to give up much. They gave away Estery Ruiz um, to Oakland. And he's a guy outfield prospect that they got in the hater trade. I thought he was going to be interesting in tormenting the Cardinals for years because he can steal. He's like a 70 stolen base guy in the minor leagues. So good to have him in the AL West. Don't need to worry about that anymore. William Contreras, though, solid catcher, rowdy Telez. he can hit 30 bombs. They got Luke Voigt, which I didn't realize. I'm just looking out the, at their roster. Now, um, Bryce Terang is a infielder that I like. Um, I believe he made the opening day roster. He got the the Jordan Walker treatment with the video in the manager's office to say that, hey, you're on the roster with us. You're coming with us to uh to break camp. Bryce Terang, interesting player. And I remember seeing him in Nashville last year. The Nashville Sounds, I believe, are the Brewers' affiliate. And I don't know, only saw this guy up, up close for one game, but it was like a pitcher's duel kind of game. The pitch clock was there, by the way. If, if you haven't experienced the pitch clock yet, just get ready. The games are going to be over in like two hours and ten minutes uh, unless it's a high-scoring affair. It's going to be different. I'm telling you, fans do not know yet what they're what they're about to experience. And you may love it. You may not. I personally didn't love it as a fan because I thought the game flew by too quickly. Now, granted, Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles was pitching in the uh, minor league game that I saw where I'm talking about Bryce Terang there. And uh, it was like a one nothing game. It flew by and... I think I had one beer and then the seventh inning stretch and I said, "Oh crap, I didn't get a didn't get a second beer." Not that that's the end all be all. I'm just saying, fans be right. As a writer, I love it cuz I'm going to be going to, you know, 80 games a year. Would love to be able to to get out of there a little quicker on some of them. But Bryce Turang for the Brewers, I think he's a solid player. Uh, not a huge bat, but I like the way he goes about it. He was one of the few guys offensively that impressed me from that game uh that I that I checked out in Nashville last year at a uh, bachelor party. So I like him. There's my little two cents about the Brewers' second baseman, uh, Luis Urias, good player. Uh, Willie Adamas, very good shortstop. They've got, I mean, they've got some hitters. Christian Yelich, we'll see. Jesse Winker back in the NL Central, we'll see what that ends up being like. He was a he was a beast with the Reds, and you get him into that American Family Ballpark, used to be Miller Park in Milwaukee. You get him back at the Great American Ballpark for some games. Won't have to worry about it at Bush because we know you can't hit home runs there. But they've got some interesting outfielders. Garrett Mitchell is a prospect that's that's turned major leaguer. Uh, it's decent. It's decent, but it doesn't jump off the page at you. It just doesn't. I don't think it's enough to where I would feel confident calling this team over 85 wins, and the number is 86-and-a-half. So of all the four I've just said, my most confident would be under 86-and-a-half for the Brewers, which is good news for the Cardinals because they're sitting up here at 88-and-a-half. And I'm taking the over on 88.5 wins for the Cardinals this season. I think the Cardinals have a chance to have a very special season. I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself. But I could see it playing out where things just kind of click for this team. Best case scenario, and I don't think it's that far-fetched, is to look at some of the offensive game plans, the positioning, what what guys are going to have which roles, and to see it work out pretty favorably. Wilson Contreras has been a consistent hitter his entire career. Let's just assume he continues to do that with the Cardinals. Okay, Paul Goldschmidt, we know. He just won the MVP. Go to second base. Brendan Donovan on base around 400 can be what this guy does. Oh, and he's added a power stroke to his game this spring. He could be an all-star. He could be a top 10 in the MVP kind of guy. I'm not saying he's going to do it, but I could see it coming together. It's just easy math. If you add gold glove caliber defense at multiple positions, which is very valuable, you add on base skills that he possesses and throw power into that mix, even 12 to 15 home runs would turn this guy into, I want to say, like a six-win player in terms of wins above replacement. I know I've had this conversation on the show before. But, like, all right, let's look at Brendan Donovan and, and what he was last year before he really established what seems to be happening here with a potential power stroke coming into his game and being a part of his arsenal. According to Baseball Reference, he was 4.2 wins above replacement last year, hitting five home runs and 391 at-bats. All right, this spring in 54 at-bats, he hit four home runs, 893 on the OPS If he does anything close to that, a 290 average, and the on-base was 356 this spring. Last year, it was 394. Let's say he's more like 350, 360. And let's say he doesn't slug 537 like he did this spring. Let's say he slugs 500. If he has an 850 OPS, Brendan Donovan is a six wins above replacement kind of guy. There's only five to ten players in the league, probably, position players, that are going to be able to claim that, and maybe not even that number. And yes, a lot of his value is going to be predicated upon his defensive ability and the flexibility there, but it all counts. And so, Brendan Donovan, man, he could be really valuable, and he's going to be the Cardinals' leadoff man to begin the season. Nolan Gorman, we're still talking about second base, right? Nolan Gorman has adjusted. He has done the things that the Cardinals had him set out to do this offseason to improve, and there is a chance that Nolan Gorman is a force offensively left-handed power bat that the Cardinals have been looking for. He's going to get every opportunity to be, I think, the everyday DH for the most part. They'll move Brendan Donovan around as necessary, but if everybody in the lineup's kind of clicking, you're going to see a lot of DH for Gorman, and that's fine. Just go hit, my friend. He is definitely capable of it. He didn't have a terrible rookie season. 14 homers, 720 OPS. I could see the OPS closer to 800 for Gorman this year. That would be a tremendous benefit to the Cardinals. They would be a better team for it. Nolan Aranato, third base. Yep, you know what he is. Tommy Edmond. he was one of those six-win guys last year. Didn't have a great offensive season, didn't have to with the, the value that he brings defensively in on the base paths. He could, he could be another 30-stolen base guy, especially with the uh, the new rules, you know, the larger bases, the pickoff rules, limitations on those things. Tommy Edmond, if he gets on base enough, could steal 40 bags. Wouldn't be crazy. Could he lead the league in steals? It's not insane to think that he could. I think the one thing deterring him there will be that he's batting ninth more than likely for the most part for the Cardinals, and that would put him on base with the power hitters of the lineup coming up to bat. You might not want to take as many risks in that situation, but could be totally wrong about that. We'll see. I think they know and trust Tommy Edmund to make good judgments on the bases He's going to get up a lot of stolen bases if he can get on base. We'll kind of gloss over Paul DeYoung because he's hurt to start the season. Didn't have a great spring. I don't know what to expect of him, but keep this in mind. Right now, Taylor Motter is the Paul DeYoung that's on the roster. He's the 26 man. So if Paul DeYoung returns to be the 26th man, you might get upset every time you see him bat and strike out. It does not matter. It does not have the negative effect on the team that you think it does. Uh, You've got a lot of pent-up feelings about Paul DeYoung. I'm telling you, let him go. He is not a central figure on this team as of right now. Doesn't have to be. And take that pressure off of him, and maybe he actually can be a good role player for the team. We'll see. Outfield, Tyler O'Neill, Jordan Walker, Lars Newtbar. That's going to be your three guys. Walker in right, O'Neal in center, Newtbar in left most likely. I would switch that. I'd put O'Neal in left and Newtbar in center. They are really keen on trying O'Neal in center field. I personally... And it confuses me a little bit. Um, He's definitely athletic enough to do it. But for a guy whose issue was durability last year, maybe throwing too many things at him at once, Tyler O'Neal does not feel that way. And nor should he. He totally believes he can handle it, and I'm sure that he can't. It's just I personally would say, do we need to add any level of risk to this situation? Or can we say Tyler O'Neill is a gold glover in left field, leave well enough alone? I, you know, we'll see. I think he can be a successful center fielder. He's got the range. He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. He's got all of it. He can be a plus center fielder. I think Lars Newbar probably could. The problem is I know Dylan Carlson can, but he appears to be boxed out right now of this lineup on a daily basis. It's a little strange, but if you read into it a little bit more, you can, okay, Jordan Walker is going to be in the lineup. Nobody argues with that. Tyler O'Neill. we know what he can become. We know what he's been, and so he's going to get the benefit of the doubt to try and recapture that. Totally get it. He's like a 900 OPS guy in 2021. Totally get it. Lars Newbar. say no more. We know what the expectations are. They've been heaped high. Lars Newbar is supposed to have a breakout campaign. So those are the three spots. And if you look at DH and say, well, the fourth outfielder could DH, Dylan Carlson's not going to DH. He is still, in my opinion, your best defensive outfielder. So that's not really going to be a spot for him. You could have one of the other guys DH and have Dylan play center. They haven't let Dylan play a lot of center this spring. They're they're sort of boxing him out, for better or worse. The other part of it is Nolan Gorman's going to DH a lot, and so that doesn't really leave the option to have an outfielder DH with that level of frequency. Dylan Carlson also, even though I, I think his numbers this spring have been pretty good, he's improved against right-handed pitching, but he's gone down against lefties, and the strikeouts across the board have been high. And Dylan Carlson, for his career, is not a not a very big exit velocity guy not consistent with the hard contact. He's got to make better contact consistently. I think he can. I'm still a believer in Dylan Carlson, but for right now, it's going to be more of a role player type for the Cardinals this season. But is that the worst thing? Like if that's your 10th best hitter and you've got an Alec Burleson that the Cardinals really do seem to believe in from the left side, that's That's going to be on this roster. You know, I, there are worse things than to have 10, 11 guys that you really think can help you offensively on a daily basis. It's what the Dodgers of years past have had. It's what the Padres of years past have had. Think about the Tampa Bay Rays and the way they mix and match and platoon. The Cardinals are equipped to do this better than ever with the way they have set up the roster this year. I think it's going to be a very impactful season offensively if guys stay healthy and meet even their median expectation for what they're supposed to do. They don't have to exceed expectations. They all just have to be right around the middle of what they could do which in the case of a lot of guys that struggled last year or injured last year is going to mean a step up in production. And across the board, if they get that, they're going to be a top-five offense again. They might be a top-three offense. They could lead the league in runs. I think that's a possibility for the Cardinals, and I think Turner Ward, the hitting coach, is going to help them sort of stabilize things. Try and avoid those stretches of games where for two, three, four games at a time, you can't score more than one or two runs in a game. And then they score 11 and then the next day, they're back to getting shut out. That's kind of been the the card on the Cardinals for the last few years. And I don't know if a hitting coach can do anything about that. But if there's one who can, I think it's Turner Ward. He's got the right temperament to be able to get these guys going. The rotation is where it could go wrong for the Cardinals. But I'll say this. I feel good about where Michaelis is, and I feel great about where Jordan Montgomery and Steven Matz are right now. I think those two guys could really surprise this year. And you know kind of what to expect from Montgomery. He did it down the stretch last year, but it was, you know, it was kind of a fever dream, right? Those two months the Cardinals were were pushing for the playoffs and then it was here and then it was and it was gone. So we haven't seen a full season of Montgomery. I think he'll just continue to be what he's been, though. And he'll make the Cardinals at the end of the year wish they could have worked out a long-term extension because I think he's going to have that kind of year and he's probably going to go somewhere else. Didn't seem to be too enthused with maybe the lack of progress in talks just kind of reading between the the lines and the tea leaves there on the the public comments by Jordan Montgomery this spring. He said, We're not really talking about that during the season. You know, we we had a chance to do it. They didn't really pursue it all that much, and and so we're we're gonna let that be until the end of the year, which is fine. He was kind of a you know a mercenary ad for Harrison Bader in that trade. It didn't get the Cardinals over the top in the playoffs last year, but I think Jordan Montgomery can have a very good season. Like, if if you say that it's Jack Flaherty's your one, Michaelis is your two, or vice versa, and Montgomery's your three, it's a very good three to have. And I think Steven Matz is an even better number four, if that's the way you mentally frame it. Steven Matz has looked really good. If he's healthy, I think it's going to be a great situation to have those two lefties going in the rotation. Give some different looks for this rotation. Obviously, there's the Wainwright thing. We don't really know when he'll be able to come back. Talked to Will Carroll, the injury expert, on the big show today, uh, earlier Tuesday, and he said maybe he thought six weeks for Wainwright. If that's true, 42 days, needs a little bit of ramp up. I could see the 60-day IL. That could be the answer for uh, Jordan Walker's spot. Honestly, Wilking Rodriguez would be the most obvious, though, to me. He's the Rule 5 guy. You can't not have him on your 26-man roster if he's healthy. If he's got shoulder tightness, just say, okay, 60 days. It's going to be a while he's dealing with the shoulder. That's what I would do. But I don't know his health situation. I don't know how quickly he's trying to get back on the mound. I would I would like to see them avoid it with Wainwright, but it may just need to be 60 days with Wainwright because that may be how long it takes to get him back on the mound. We don't know. But otherwise, you've got Jake Woodford's going to be your fifth starter. Uh, he's looked really good. Hopefully, he continues that. He's never failed, really, when given the opportunity. He just hasn't gotten many leverage opportunities with the Cardinals. So... I'm going to say he's going to give it hell, and hopefully Jake Woodford's able to hold it down and show that he's deserving of a rotation spot for a competitive big league team. That would be awesome to see for him. Beyond that, though, I think you have answers in case things go off the rails in the rotation, whether due to injury or otherwise. You've got Matthew Libertor that had a good spring. You've got guys like Michael McGreevy, Gordon Graceffo, who may be a little further away, but... By midseason, we could see progress from those guys in the minors to maybe wonder if they could make their debuts. Uh, Within the bullpen, you've got Drew Verhagen, and he was kind of pegged as a guy who could start when they signed him. I don't know if that's very likely. I think they might just be satisfied with what he's been able to bring in relief this spring. Uh, But I do think, you know, I've been saying it on the podcast, Drew Verhagen, don't overlook him. I think he has a good season for the Cardinals Uh, They get their money's worth out of him this year. Andre Pallante, I think, could step into a starter's role. I think he'll, you know, be serving in that bullpen role for the time being. But obviously last year pretty much walked into the starter's role and did everything they asked of him, looked pretty good. I think that could still be a future for him. I would love to see more chances for him in the rotation because I think of the guys that we're talking about on the fringe, I like him for the 2024 rotation. I think he could actually be someone that I would be happy to slot into when you look at no Wainwright, no Flaherty, no Montgomery could potentially see Andre Polante down the road. If he has enough opportunity to build up innings this year, that might be kind of a question, but I feel pretty good about the depth there in starting pitching. It, it goes quickly though, especially if some of these guys who we say, well, maybe the young guys are ready. Well, if they're not, that's where it could go bad on the Cardinals. And then the bullpen, I think you've got good pieces. We trust Helsley. Uh, to be Helsley again. It's always health provided, but Helsley, Jordan Hicks throwing 100. That's great. Zach Thompson throwing 100. Uh, you know, And then Packy Naughton and Stratton, those will be two spots in the bullpen that you kind of keep an eye on. Naughton not a great spring. Stratton not a great spring. What are those guys going to be able to do uh, to sort of add confidence to the back end of that bullpen? Wait and see what that looks like. And then the guy I'm circling is Giovanni Gallegos that I would like to see be able to have a good start to the season. I'm a little bit worried about it just because of the pitch clock thing. How much is that going to really be enforced and how much will that impact Geo? I think is a legitimate question at this point. But I think there are more positives than negatives for the Cardinals. And I'm looking at that 88 and a half. They won 93 last year. I think that it gets a little tougher because of the balanced schedule. But I think they are a better team, a more well-rounded team coming into this year than they had last year. And they won 93 games. So I'm, I'm saying over 88 and a half. If you held my feet to the fire right now, I'm going to say 91 wins for the Cardinals, and that might even be selling them a little bit short if everything clicks properly. Now, things aren't always going to click, though. you got to leave some margin for error there, and that's what I feel like I'm trying to do with the Cardinals. But let me know what you think. I've got the Cardinals at 91 wins, winning the division. Now, what does that mean? Probably the third division winner once again in the National League. I like the Braves out of the East. Out of the West, I I kind of like the Padres to be able to, to get it done this year. But I think those are two teams that could flirt with 100 wins. Uh, certainly 95-plus for both of the division winners on the East and West. The Cardinals can get there. It would take the pitchers staying relatively healthy, like we said, getting those performances out of Mats and Montgomery that I think are plausible, and then the guys in the lineup that I talked about, those median projections, having pretty much all of those hit and then you see the Cardinals as a pretty formidable team. I think that's super possible. Um, but again, it's it's hard to add an extra three or four wins, maybe more that it would take to get to 98, 99, 100 if they're going to beat out one of those teams from the East or West. It's hard to add that when you don't have as many games as you had last year against the likes of the Pirates and the Reds and the Cubs. It's just going to be a little bit more difficult with the balanced schedule. I think this could certainly be a mid-90s win type of team. I also think there are some holes that could develop if injury takes over. And we know that injuries throughout a season are kind of unavoidable. So all in all, I think I'm pretty optimistic. I'm above the Vegas win total on the Cardinals. I think they're into the low 90s in terms of wins, and I think they pretty easily take home this division. I don't know if anybody else in the division gets above 85. I'd be surprised to see that. So that's my take on the NL Central. We're going Cardinals. I never did give a number for the Brewers, did I? Um you know, I've got I've got written down eighty-two for the Brewers too. I'm gonna to say both the Brewers and the Cubs. I'm gonna take the cop out that they tie for second. Cardinals ninety-one, Brewers and Cubs eighty-two, Pirates sixty eight, reds sixty six. Let me know what you think at B Schaefer Twelve on Twitter. If you're liking the shows and you're you're gonna to wanna to make sure you don't miss any more when we actually get into legitimate day-to-day baseball conversations, breaking down every game, news, all of the storylines around this team. You wanna be right here locked into B Shafe Daily. Follow on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And hey, subscribe and like me on YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash at 12. And hit me up. Any questions, comments, or concerns, I'm on Twitter at B Schaefer 12 as always. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on B Schaefer Daily. Peace.